Hi, my name is Scott and I'm a member with Restored Church. If you're new, we want to welcome you and thank you for tuning in. We believe the church is not an event, but a family you belong to. So we would love the opportunity to connect with you. If you want to learn more about our church or if we can help you in any way, please visit our website www.RestoredTemecula.Church and click on Contact. We also have a mobile app with resources including our Sunday messages, information about upcoming events, and other ways to connect. You can download our app on the Apple or Android app stores. With all that said, we hope you enjoy the message. I love you guys. Man, it's a privilege to be together this morning. Uh, before we jump into the scriptures, I have a, I actually have a really big announcement for you. Does anybody want to know the big announcement? Yes. Wow, great. Okay, fantastic. So, um, as you know, if you don't know, you're about to. Our church is driven by six core values: gospel, family, uh, dependence, mission, multiplication, and renewal. Everything that we do seeks to strengthen and promote and develop those values. One of them that I mentioned, multiplication, we are big on the concept that healthy things reproduce. We talk about the kingdom of heaven, the kingdom of God with a king, his name is Jesus. He's all about multiplication. The multiplication of disciples, the multiplication of gospel communities, the multiplication of churches, the multiplication of, of leaders. Now, the announcement that I want to share with you, it specifically highlights the multiplication of elders. Now, if you aren't familiar, an elder is basically a spiritual father. It's not dependent on age, okay? It's elders of spiritual father or spiritual fathers who provide oversight to a specific household of faith. This is a specific household of faith. Faith, that the big C church is a global family, okay? But there are local expressions of that global family, local households of faith, if you will. Elders are men who, who provide oversight and spiritual fathering to those spaces, okay? So, uh, excited to announce to you that after a multi-year process, we are entering into a, like the final stage of on-ramping two more men onto the eldership team of this church. You ready? Okay. Really excited to announce that Mike Harrelson and Paul Grieve are in this final stage of the process. Give them some love, yes. It's a beautiful thing. And a lot of intentionality with this, but, but I just want you to know, it's, it's really become clear that, that, that God has called these two guys into this. Um, one of the things that we seek to do is to yield to the lordship of Jesus in every single area of our lives and to be fathered by God. That means guided, directed, cared for, developed. What is he on about and how can we participate in his kingdom, his rule, his reign, what it looks like when he gets his way, not just in, in, in kind of a broad thing, but in individual lives, right? And so uh, we kind of, uh, through this process, determine these guys, like it's not a matter of, of if for these two men, it's, it's a matter of, of when. And so they're entering into the final stage of on-ramping, right, into eldership. So I want to put this before you, the church. If you have any feedback, specifically with these two guys, that you think would be helpful, right, that's invited. Please come share with myself, with Herrick. We'd love to hear from you on that. Just to put it in front of you, the kind of the tentative plan with this is on April, 4th, um, yeah, April 14th, 
We'll have a special Sunday, uh, and, and God willing, Mike will be ordained that Sunday. Super excited about it. And again, the tentative plan, uh, later on this, later this summer, maybe early fall, we'll do the same thing with Paul, all right? So invite your feedback, talk to us, but whether it's positive or whether it's something that you just need to, that we need to be aware of, all that stuff's invited. We are a household of faith together. Herrick mentioned it. We relate to God as Father. That makes us brothers and sisters. The church is not an event. You are not at church. You are with the church. The church is the family of God, all right? And so uh, I want to say this too. God willing, these won't be the last two men on ramped into eldership. And the reason for that is because I'm convinced that there are men in this church who are called to eldership, and we want to fan into flame what God is birthing inside of people. Men, women, boys, girls, whatever it is, we want to yield to the lordship of Jesus. All right? We want to see everybody step into their callings, the people that God, or all people, like stepping into what God has called them to in every single area of life. All right? Now, um, this morning, we're going to continue our series going through the gospel of Matthew, all right? And so if you have your Bibles, you can go to grab. We're going to be, going to be in Matthew chapter 11, but <clears throat> I want to set this up because this morning, this is one of the, pa- like one of the passages, or the passage we're going to go through this morning, it's, it's one of these passages where there is so much stuff in it. We're not going to get to all of it for the sake of time, but this morning, it's kind of, I feel like it's something that God might be doing in our church. I was praying this morning and I felt like God gave me this picture of his desire to, to shine light on every single area of our heart, sometimes the areas that we want to keep in the dark. But his desire for us, his heart for us is to father us, to care for us, to develop us and to strengthen us, again, to step into who he's made us to be. Do you know the dignity that you possess as being a man or a woman, a young person made in the image of God. There's a purpose for your life, and it's really, really important, and it's really, really beautiful. So we're talking about the king and his kingdom. That's the whole heartbeat behind this series. We're learning and exploring as much as we can about the kingdom of heaven, also known as the kingdom of God. Those two phrases are synonymous. And when I say the kingdom of God, this kingdom of heaven, I'm talking about the rule and the reign of the king. What does it look like when Jesus gets his way in every area of life. Siri's demonic. (laughs) Go away, Siri. You're you're supposed to be off. Okay. So without Siri interrupting us again, Matthew chapter 11, flip there in your Bibles. If you don't have a Bible, the word will be on the screen for you. But before I jump in, I want to pray. So will you join me? Hmm. Yeah, Spirit, I can already like feel you highlighting uh, in me even this desire to rush because for the sake of time, I just pray that right now you'd help all of us, especially me, just really settle in. Help us to be present. Help me to not speed things up quicker than you want them to go. And then give us, give us ears to hear you, Holy Spirit. Show us the beauty of Jesus. Show us the glory of Jesus. The goodness, the kindness, the faithfulness of God. We love you. We look to you now. Teach us. Be our teacher. In your holy and beautiful name, Jesus, we pray. And we all said together, amen. All right, Matthew chapter 11, starting in verse 1. If you remember Matthew chapter 10, it was Jesus gathering his disciples 
right? Sending them out on mission, warning them what it was going to be like. And then we get to Matthew chapter 11 says this, when Jesus had finished giving instructions to his 12 disciples, he moved on from there to teach and preach in their towns. Now, really quick side note here. We've talked about this a little bit before, but Jesus' leadership isn't just to do what I say leadership. It's a do what I say leadership, yes, and it's also a do what I do leadership. Jesus models what life should look like. He's not just using his words, although he is. It's a join me leadership. Join me in this. And so just in a fresh way, I feel this in my own life in a big way. If you want to grow in your leadership, whether it's your household, whether it's your job, whether it's your school, whether it's your gospel community, whatever it is, you want to grow as a leader that God's created you to be, man, oh man, adopt the way that Jesus led. Jesus led by, join me in this. Join me in this. Join me in leadership. Let's keep going. Verse two. Now when John, that's, that's John the Baptist, when, he, when John the Baptist heard in prison that the, what the Christ was doing, he sent a message through his disciples and asked him, the hymn there is Jesus, are you the one who is to come or should we expect someone else? John the Baptist is in prison. He sends his boys to Jesus and he's like, hey, are you the one to come? Are you the Messiah? Are you really the savior or should we expect somebody else? Now, really quickly, all the Bible commentators agree on what's happening here. John the Baptist is expressing doubt in Jesus. All right? So what he does is he sends his followers to ask Jesus, are you really the Savior? Look how Jesus responds, verse 4. Jesus replied to them, go and report to John what you hear and see. The blind receive their sight. The lame walk. Those with leprosy are cleansed. The deaf hear. The dead are raised. And the poor are told the good news. And blessed is the one who isn't offended by me. As these men were leaving, Jesus began to speak to the crowds about John. What did you go out into the wilderness to see? That's where John was preaching in the wilderness, right? A reed swaying in the wind. It's like a euphemism for like somebody who's like kind of like fickle and like fear of man, kind of like back and forth. What then did you go out to see? A man dressed in soft clothes? See, those who wear soft clothes are in royal palaces. What then did you go out to see? A prophet? Listen to what Jesus says. Yes, I tell you, and more than a prophet. This is the one about whom it is written. And he's going to quote the Old Testament. See, I am sending my messenger ahead of you. He will prepare your way before you. Verse 11. Truly I tell you, among those born of women... No one greater than John the Baptist has appeared, but the least in the kingdom of heaven is greater than he. From the days of John the Baptist until now, the kingdom of heaven has been suffering violence, and the violent have been seizing it by force. For all the prophets and the law prophesied until John. And if you're willing to accept it, he is the Elijah who is to come. Let anyone who has ears listen. All right. Like I mentioned, there's a ton in this passage. We're not going to get to all of it. <clears throat> what we're going to do is we're going to focus in on the central topic of this passage. Were you able to identify what it was? The central topic of this passage is doubt. It's doubt. <clears throat> and that's what we're going to talk about. Um, first thing, look back at verse 4. Jesus replied to John the Baptist's friends, his followers, 
that John the Baptist sent. He said, go report to John what you hear and see. And he starts listing all these things, all the, the miracles and the ministry that Jesus did. Right? The blind receive their sight, the lame walk, those with leprosy are cleansed, the deaf hear, the dead are raised, and the poor are told the good news. And listen to this, he says, and blessed is the one who isn't offended by me. So guys, what Jesus is doing here is he's making a connection between doubt and being offended. Um, this was originally written in Greek, right? And that word that's translated into English as offended, it means to stumble, it means to be repulsed even. It means to be put off, offended. So why would John the Baptist be offended by Jesus? He was, he was preaching the kingdom of God. Why would he be offended by Jesus? Uh, maybe you already saw it, but you, where is John the Baptist in this passage? Talk to me. Where is he located? He's in prison. Okay, he's locked up. He's locked up in prison for preaching the kingdom of God. All right? So he's in there and he's going, wait a second. The Messiah, the promised one, the Savior, the Messiah was supposed to be, like, he's supposed to bring blessing on those who repent. That was his message, right? Repent because the kingdom of God is near. So John the Baptist is going, wait a second, this Messiah, the Savior, he's supposed to bring blessing on those who repent and judgment on those who do not, and yet I'm in prison? Like, I'm doing the right stuff. Like, why? I'm in prison, right? Jesus, he's supposed to set the captives free. But I'm in chains. And here's the crazy thing. John's awaiting his execution. Jesus wasn't exactly meeting John's expectations, now was he? Man, if Jesus is a savior, why am I still in prison? If Jesus is a savior, why am I suffering? Maybe you can relate to that. If Jesus is a savior, why is my loved one still sick? If Jesus is a savior, why does this other person keep causing me pain? If Jesus is a savior, why am I struggling financially so much? If Jesus is a savior, why won't the anxiety go away or the depression go away? If Jesus is a savior, why am I still not married? Or, or why haven't we conceived a baby yet? Like, if Jesus is a savior, why haven't I been healed? If Jesus is a savior, why am I suffering? Maybe you can relate with John the Baptist. You know, one of the most profound things about the Christian worldview, friends, is the role that suffering plays in the Christian worldview. In the Christian worldview, suffering, it actually serves a very meaningful purpose. And I don't know about you, but to me, like, there's very, if suffering doesn't serve a purpose, like, what is even happening in life? Like, is this all meaningless? In the Christian worldview, suffering actually serves a meaningful purpose. Let me explain. Does anybody in the room like coffee? If you do, raise your hand. Okay. If you're one of those people who can't drink coffee or you don't like coffee, may God have mercy on your soul. <laughs> um, will you guys throw those slides up for me? Uh, I, wanna, I think this might be helpful, okay? 
coffee. We're, we're not talking about drip coffee, although there's drip coffee in the back and drip coffee is fine. We're talking about espresso, okay? Can you guys go to the next level? Okay, so when I say it, it's not espresso, it's not EX, it's not espresso, it's espresso, right? All right? This is the nectar from heaven. Um, so if you're familiar with espresso. No, no, go back, go back. You're, I like Mikey, well done. Okay, this is, this is espresso, right? It's pressure and water and mix it. it it's, here's the thing about espresso. It's potent, isn't it? It's gloriously potent, all right? So this is espresso. In its pure form, unadulterated, untarnished, that's espresso. Next one. I want to give you a little, most of you probably know this. If you don't, if you're not familiar with like the varying degrees of coffee beverages and how they're constructed, this might be helpful. This is a macchiato, okay? Do not listen to Starbucks. They've tried to redefine what a macchiato is and they've, they've, they've gotten it horribly wrong, okay? This is a macchiato. It's espresso with just a little bit of milk, okay? Just a little bit of milk. That's a macchiato. So you have an espresso, then you have a macchiato. You can go to the next one. Um, this is my drink of choice. This is a cortado. If you notice, there's a macchiato on the left, right? Espresso with a little bit of milk. Cortado is espresso with a little bit of more milk, like just a little bit more. Okay? You can go to the next one. Here's kind of the spectrum of your, of your coffee drinks, okay? You got that macchiato on the left, which is great, you know? Then you got the cortado, a little bit more milk. Then the flat white, another winner, a little bit more milk. And then you get into the cappuccino, even more milk, and then you get into the full-blown latte, all right? That's where you got like a bunch of milk with that same amount of espresso. You guys get this, right? So your coffee drinks, next time you're in Starbucks or somewhere else, you kind of will know, although, again, they've totally redefined a macchiato. Don't order a macchiato. If you're a macchiato Starbucks person, I'm sorry, it's just not a macchiato. But, but I show you this because I want you to see that what determines the coffee drink is the ratio between espresso and milk, Right? You with me? Is this making sense? Okay, great. Thanks. In the same way, people have a ratio going on inside of them. And their ratio isn't espresso to milk. Their ratio is faith to doubt. So we can see, like especially when you have a glass, you can see through the glass and you can start to see the ratio between the espresso and the milk, right? How do you know what the ratio is for a person? Like you look at me. How do you know what my ratio right now is from faith to doubt? You can go to the next one. Suffering. Suffering reveals the reality of the ratio that's inside. Friends, please, mis- I don't want you to misunderstand me. I know there's a lot of people in our church that are suffering in significant ways right now. But I'm hopeful that this will bring some encouragement because your suffering is not without purpose. One of the purposes, one of the the ways that God redeems suffering, right? Suffering is a result of a broken, fallen world. It's not God being, like, mean. But he even can harness good out of it. One of the purposes is it reveals our true ratio. What's going on inside of us? My first point, suffering reveals the reality of the ratio inside, the ratio of faith to doubt, right? All of us, we can all identify with the man who comes to Jesus. If you remember the story, he comes to Jesus, he's like, Jesus, I believe, help my unbelief. 
That's every single one of us. There's this, there's this like dynamic ratio and it changes and ebbs and flows given on the day and the circumstances and all the things, but we all have this dynamic ratio happening inside of us, this ratio of, of faith to doubt. In some days, that ratio favors faith. In other days, it, it favors doubt. Suffering reveals the reality of that ratio like nothing else. One of the things that, that suffering does, is it, it, it has a way of putting us at a crossroads. It puts us at a crossroads of what we believe about God. Not what we think we believe, but we actually attach truth to. One side, trust, right? Faith. Faith is, 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 is trust in action. That's what faith is, Right? So the crossroads, one road is, is trust. It's, I trust that God is still who he says he is, even though it's hard and I'm suffering, right? I trust that he is loving. I trust that he is compassionate. I trust that he's good. I trust that he's just. I trust that he's even savior, right? Or doubt. Maybe he isn't what he says he is. If Jesus is a savior, why am I suffering? Um, forgive the language. If it bothers you, I'm going to say it anyway. Suffering sucks. Can I get an amen? It sucks. It's hard. It's not comfortable. We all try to avoid it at all costs, if we're honest. I know I do. All right? But hear me. It's not without purpose. It's not without purpose. It serves a purpose in the life of the Christian, right? Because here's the thing. We may think that our faith is strong and robust, right? We may think like the ratio is a cortado, right? Or maybe even a macchiato. But hear me. I've learned, I, I'm still learning this, but I've, se I've seen this happen in my own life. Sometimes comfort disguises itself as faith, Sometimes comfort disguises itself as faith. And here's the thing. Like you, you don't even know it. You don't even, you don't even know it until the suffering shows up. Because like, well, man, we'd all agree. It's, it's pretty, not easy, but it's like, it's fairly natural and easy for the Christian to trust God when everything's going smooth. Right? Bank accounts cranking. Health's good. Relationships, there's no conflict. There's like everything's, this is great. It's, it's, it's fairly easy to trust God when everything's going smooth. But what about when those storm clouds start to roll in? Suffering, it reveals the reality of that ratio. Goodness, like nothing else in life. It sucks, but it serves a purpose. Um, I, think about, <laughs> I think about my faith journey. I've been following Jesus since I was like 17, 18 years old. So I didn't like, I didn't have a, an understanding of the gospel or who the person of Jesus was or what God was up to or the kingdom of God, the kingdom of heaven until I was like an adult essentially. But I think about my faith journey and, and I remember like 
Maybe you can resonate with this. You know when you first come to grips with the reality of the gospel of Jesus and you feel like you're on fire? You're like, this is the greatest thing ever. I'm so filled with faith. Everybody needs to know this. This is amazing. Like I felt like I'm like, I'm a macchiato at worst. I'm probably just pure Ethiopian espresso. Like I, that's, where I, that's where it started for me. I got, that, was, that would have been my self-diagnosis, if you will, of the ratio that was going on inside of me. And then I started following Jesus. And I don't know about you, but the closer in step I walk with Jesus, the more the heat gets turned up. The more like opposition kicks in. And not just like from out there, like my own flesh. My own brokenness, my own selfishness starts to flare up in ever-increasing ways, right? And not only that, but like, I can't speak for you, but suffering increased in my life. But with each season of suffering, up and down, right? It's not all suffering, but with each season of suffering, it's revealed that my ratio isn't quite what I thought it was. I'm actually not a macchiato. I'm not even a cortado, if I'm being candid with you, okay? <clears throat> Each season of suffering has revealed what my ratio, it's not exactly what I thought it was. And, and to be candid with you, suffering has, has actually produced more humility in me that I can observe, I can see it. More dependence on God, I can see it because I need him. I'm like, oh my gosh, there's way more milk in this drink than, there, than there's espresso, that whole, I believe, it's there. I believe, but help my unbelief because that's there and I'm growing in awareness of it. Um, if you want to see how much milk is actually in your drink, I recommend church planting. It is the hardest thing I've ever done in my entire life. If you're unfamiliar with our story, Herrick referenced it, 2012. We, I pastored here in this area for several years, and then God kind of radically reoriented our life around church planting. We moved to San Diego to help plant the very first restored church. Then we moved again three years later to plant the second one. And then two years after that, we moved again to plant this one in 2017, kind of officially launched 2018. And so it's been on this, this journey of like, okay, Lord, like, you're, you're inviting us into doing that. You're giving some assignments here. And it's the hardest thing I've ever done. And the reason it's the hardest thing I've ever done is because I almost said church planting is synonymous with suffering, and that's not true. Uh, it, it isn't synonymous with, but it's, it's, it's filled with unavoidable suffering that you just can't, unbelievable highs, absolutely. I'll, I'm not complaining. Please don't misunderstand what I'm saying. I just trying to, I'm trying to like help you see what I'm learning in my own life. But church planning, it requires a ridiculous amount of suffering, but it also comes with a hefty portion of God's grace. And one of the ways that God has been so gracious to me personally is that he's showing me in this process that that suffering is actually, one of the redeeming things about it is that it's, it's revealing to me the true ratio inside of me. Not to shame me, 
Not to condemn me at all, right? He doesn't reveal these things. He doesn't reveal the ratio to punish us and rub it into our face or to shame us. That's not his character, right? No, he reveals it to us to clear a path towards repentance and freedom. That's what he's doing. Suffering, it it, it reveals the reality of the ratio, friend. So, if you've ever found a little bit of milk in your drink, you've ever recognized it's there, if you've ever found yourself doubting God, can I just tell you, you're in some good company. And not like because it's me. Look at verse 11. Jesus says this. This isn't my opinion. Truly I tell you, among those born of women, no one greater than John the Baptist has appeared. But the least in the kingdom of heaven is greater than he. I don't have time to unpack that last phrase, but my second point for you this morning is even the greatest among us battles doubt. If you find yourself ever doubting God, that ratio isn't just exclusively espresso. Even the greatest among us battles doubt, right? Jesus is like, no one's greater than your boy JTB. No one is greater than him. And even he doubted. He's suffering in prison, right? Jesus isn't meeting his expectations for salvation, And according to Jesus, it led John to being a little bit offended. And what did that offense produce? Doubt. Maybe you can relate. I know I can relate. Maybe maybe in, in a season of your life, you felt a little let down by God. Maybe, maybe you're in that season now. Maybe he didn't, he didn't meet your expectations. Good Lord, I've been in seasons where I'm like, Lord, you're not meeting my expectations. And that's a, that's a painful one, man. That one stings. Guys, if I've learned anything in life, it's this. Life is hard, and Satan is real. Life is hard and Satan is real. Can I just remind you for a second? There are evil spiritual forces that are at work in your life currently to tempt you. Like, can we just peel back the veil? Look behind the curtain for a second. The physical realm is not all that there is. There are evil spiritual forces at work to tempt you. And here's the thing. Those temptations, they're less about getting you to do things. They're less about getting you to do things and way more about getting you to believe things. We talked about this when we went through the Gospel of John, right? But your beliefs, what you attach truth to, your beliefs, they influence your behavior, right? So Satan's not going to go after your behavior because if he can get your beliefs, he's going to get your behavior too. So so these evil spiritual forces that do exist, that are coming at you, whether you're giving them attention or not, whether you're acknowledging that that's happening or not, these evil spiritual forces, these temptations, they don't begin with, you should doubt God. They They don't start there. They start with 
questioning God's reliability. Can you really count on him? Do you remember what what Satan said to Eve at the beginning? Did God really say? He's trying to get you to question God's reliability. The temptations start with questioning God's reliability because if Satan can get you to question God's reliability, he can influence the expectations that you place on God. And when those expectations are something that God never actually agreed to, Satan has just positioned you, my friend, for a letdown. And now who's the culprit of you being let down? God. Checkmate. Gotcha. Do you see, like, the deceptive blame shifting? Do you see it? God didn't meet the expectations, right? But they were things that God never agreed to in the first place. You know, Jesus literally says, there will be suffering. You will suffer in this life, but behold, I've overcome the world. And here's the thing about suffering that's just challenging, I think. For me personally, I think for many of us, suffering, it might be the most convenient opportunity for Satan to do that blame shifting. You see, this, this, you're suffering. That means God's not reliable. You can't really count on him. As though the suffering is God's fault. Can I just encourage you? And I need you to encourage me in seasons as well. Don't take the bait, man. Don't take the bait. Don't allow Satan to influence the expectations that you place on God. Because if you do, it's only a matter of time until that gives birth to offense. And hear me, that, of, that, that offense, when that, when that happens, it will birth doubt. Life is hard and Satan is real. But again, like if you find yourself ever doubting God, you're not alone. You're not alone. Even the greatest among us battles doubt, okay? So that begs the question, in my mind at least, that begs the question, when we recognize, when we recognize that, that ratio, right, that ratio of faith to doubt that's happening inside of us, it's going up and down every day, when we recognize that that ratio of, of faith to doubt in us isn't what we want it to be, it's, it, maybe it's way more of a, of a latte than it is a macchiato, right? What do we do? What do we do? Look back at verse 4. Jesus is the best. Jesus is the absolute best. This is what you do. Jesus replied to them, go and report. If you have a pen, underline that in your Bible. Go and report to John what you hear and see. The blind receive their sight. The lame walk. Those with leprosy are cleansed. The deaf hear. The dead are raised. And the poor are told the good news. And blessed is the one who isn't offended by me. Guys, do you see what what the prescription that Dr. Jesus writes for doubt is? It's my final point for you this morning. 
My final point is this. Reporting God's deeds is the remedy for doubt. Reporting God's deeds is the remedy for doubt. Now listen, sometimes the condition of that ratio happening inside of us, sometimes it's enough to report what God has done to yourself. Sometimes you can like remember and rehearse and and report to yourself, this is what God has done, right? And other times, as is the case with John the Baptist here, you need your friends to report them to you. Because that cell block is dark. And those chains aren't going, you're, you're having a harder time. A uh, quick side note on this one, I feel like God's on this. Um, Some of, some of you are lonely. And not because there's not like people in your contact list on your phone. But like there's a, there's a loneliness component that you feel. And what you need is you need friends. And not superficial friends. Do, do you want to know who you, you want to know who your real friends are? Your real friends are the ones who spend more time reporting the good news of what God has done to you than giving you advice about what you can do to improve your life. Um, and I don't say that in any way to like be, I'm not better than anybody in the room. I need friends too. You want to be my friend? Tell me about Jesus. Oh, tell me about what he's done. Remind me. Remind me of his faithfulness. Remind me of his power. Remind me of his miracle working grace and love. And I'm committed to reminding you as well. So sometimes it's enough to report it to yourself. Oh man, okay, I'm seeing that there's, I'm I'm drifting into latte territory over here and like, oh, Jesus, oh yeah, you have been faithful. Yep, you did. Yep, you you redeemed. Yeah, okay. I, I can, sometimes you can report it to yourself. And that's enough, right? Other times, you need your friends to report them to you. But regardless, I want you to see how Jesus responds to people who are battling doubt. Right? You know what he doesn't say? He doesn't send John the Baptist's followers back to him and say, tell John, how dare you? How dare you doubt me? I'm the living God in the flesh. He doesn't say that. He's not like, who do you think you are questioning me? No. What does he say? He knows knows John's offended. He knows John's battling doubt. He knows John's in prison. He knows that he's locked up. He knows John's going to get executed. And what does he say? He goes, tell John, look at what I've done. Look at what I've done. Because it will produce a faith in you and a hope in you to look to what I'm going to do ultimately. I felt convicted this week. I felt really convicted this week. Because I was recognizing doubt in me And it was like, when was the last time that I took the time to look what God has done? 
in my life. But I'm so busy. Maybe you're the same. Just one thing to the next thing to the next thing to the next thing. I'm just trying to, I'm just trying to, sometimes, some of you young parents, I'm just trying to get to bedtime. When was the last time, can I ask you, when was the last time that you, you, you looked at what God has done in your life? Like you actually reviewed it. Like all the provision. Maybe you can just even right now do it. Like all the ways that God's provided for you. All the forgiveness. Oh, huh. Right? The faithfulness. When was the last time you looked at what God has done, not just in your life, but in the lives of the other people around you? The people that you care about. The miracles. I wish I had time. Just the testimonies in this room of just miracles that God has done. We should probably do a Sunday like that. I won't, I won't preach. We'll literally just take turns sharing the miracles that we've witnessed God do. I, I'd be willing to bet you a million dollars that I don't have that everybody's faith would be stirred way more than any Bible teaching that I or anybody else in this room could do. When was the last time you looked at what he's done in your life and the lives of others, the breakthroughs, and remembered them? Guys, this church... This church is a living and breathing example of God's intervening love and care for you. Look at what God's done in your life. You want to know what the craziest part about that is? All that God's done in your life, you and I, we're entitled to none of it. Like, we deserve none of that. None of the blessing. None of the grace. None of the mercy. None of the provision. None of the care. None of the miracles. None of that stuff. We're entitled to none of it. We deserve none of it. He was obligated to do none of it. And he wouldn't be any less good or just. No. Yet, he chose to. He chose to. I just got to meet a new baby. What a gift, right? You parents in the room, you ever find yourself in that space where you're like, can I just get five minutes? You know, like, which is hard, right? But what a gift they are. What an absolute treasure children are. And we're entitled to none of it. Like, there's so many... There's, there's a thousand million billion blessings all around us every day and we're entitled to none of it. He's obligated to deliver none of that to us and yet he chose to. Why? Because he's gracious and because he loves you and he loves to give you good gifts. He's a dad who loves to give good gifts to his children even and especially when they don't deserve it. That's who he is. <laughs> and more than babies are a gift or provisions a gift or miracles are a gift, we all know what the greatest gift is. It's our Savior hanging on a cross. Isn't he generous? Christ didn't die for us when we got our act together. 
or when we are even remotely close to resembling even a macchiato. No. Scriptures say he died for us while we were yet sinners. He chose to give his life in your place and in my place when you were at your worst. When I was at my worst. Friends, the remedy for doubt is God's resume. Can I just ask you, when was the last time you gave serious consideration to looking it over? Like looking at it. All right, I'm out of time. Ben, will you come up? Uh, If you're on the prayer team, would you kind of make your way to the front as well? I'm going to close with one more thing. I'm going to set up some ministry time. All right. So, to review. Suffering, it reveals the reality of the ratio inside. The ratio of faith to doubt. Suffering actually can show you the real condition of what's going on with you, that ratio between faith to doubt. And even the greatest among us battles doubt, right? And then finally, we talked about the remedy for doubt is God's resume, right? Actually reporting God's deeds to ourselves, to others. So here's what I want to do. Um, I I don't want us to miss out on the spirit of God caring for us, ministering to us, fathering us, leading us, blessing each and every single one of us in the room. And so here's what I want to do. I want to ask you a question. And it's going gonna, it's gonna to require that you, you, you actually give yourself over to seeking the answer to it, okay? You're going to get out of this what you put into it. And the question is this, what's that ratio look like in you this morning? If you're a coffee drink, how much, how much espresso to milk? How much faith is present in you compared to how much doubt is present in you? Lord, I believe. I believe, but help my unbelief. What's that ratio look like in you this morning? Maybe, maybe you or somebody you love is suffering right now like in, in serious ways or in ways that just feel really heavy, right? And that's starting to reveal the ratio that's going on inside of you. Maybe there's more milk in the drink than you thought there was. <clears throat> if that's you, I want to invite you in just a moment. Come receive some prayer. Let these trusted men and women minister to you. Let them report to you the good news, all that God has done, all that he is in a fresh way that, that, that the word of the kingdom of God can make its way deeper into your heart. Maybe you're battling doubt this morning. Even the greatest among us battles doubt, right? If you're battling doubt, come receive prayer. Come receive ministry. Or maybe, like I mentioned before, maybe it's just been a minute. Maybe it's been a minute since you've actually reviewed God's resume in your life. All the ways he's watched over you. All the ways he's cared for you. And maybe even right now I'm poking something, aren't I? So for some of you, you're like, no, but he, he hurt me. 
He let me down. He didn't meet my expectations. If Jesus is a savior, why am I suffering? Can I just tell you, this is a place where these people gather to worship the one who offers salvation. That means all of us are really broken. So if you're in, a, if you're in the room where you're like, I'm not the same as the people around me, you're misunderstanding what this is. This is a room full of people who desperately need grace and God in his kindness has offered it to us in Jesus. And we've said, yes, please. <laughs> Can I have another? <laughs> so if that's you, like, come receive prayer. Come receive ministry. Let's do this. Will you just close your eyes with me? Not to be overly spiritual, but I just want you to not be distracted for just a moment. sake of increased salvation experienced on the earth. A salvation that transcends our circumstances. A salvation that transcends being stuck in a jail cell that we don't want to be in. Your salvation is a comprehensive salvation, isn't it? We honor you, Jesus. So show us, Holy Spirit. Deliver us from spiritual bondage so that we can enjoy you and enjoy the blessings both now and forevermore. We love you. In your name, amen. All right. So for the next, man, 15, 20 minutes, this is a time for ministry. This is a time for responding to the goodness of God. There's really two types of people in the room this morning. There are priests and there are patients. Priests, people that are oriented their life around, around ascribing ultimate worth to God, around praising him, around bringing him offerings, not to get something from him just because he's worthy. Offer him your voice. Listen to me, some of you men in the room, you're really strong. You can carry a lot, of, you can lift a lot of weight, but for whatever reason, you're not lifting your voice. Lift your voice. Praise him because he's worthy. There's priests in the room and there's also patients in the room. People who just need care. Hey, I'm, I'm recognizing the ratio is in, in me is not what I want it to be. Maybe you need someone to report. Report the good news. Report the reality of God's goodness and kindness and faithfulness available to you to enjoy, to taste and see. Okay? Priests, patients, you can come forward anytime and then in 15, 20 minutes, Herrick will come up and pastor us and close us. Okay? Love you guys very much. Enjoy him. <laughs>